welcome everyone to Her and the Nerd. This is Keegan Thompson. I'm here with my wife, Julia Thompson. Julia, how are you doing? Doing awesome. It's podcast day. Best day of the week. Yeah, I get really excited about Wednesdays. We were talking about scheduling things for days during the week for something to look forward to each day. Maybe not every day, but we did Taco Tuesday last night. That was fun. And Wednesday is our podcast days. And that's all we got so far. Yeah, our friend Laura makes these really awesome margaritas. And I asked her for the recipe so we can make them for Taco Tuesday. And it was delicious. So it's, we use Vita Mezcal because we're a Mezcal fam. And then it's blackberry syrup, and which is like only like a quarter of a shot glass. And then you top it off with a lime juice and sparkling water or like a lime LaCroix. And it is so good. It's almost like a sour margarita. Yep. They're tasty. So good. I just like love the smell of it. So yeah, we've been having fun with scheduling things in our week that we can look forward to which is always nice. We also took a nice little walk today around our new neighborhood. This is our first podcast at our new house, which is super exciting. We moved about two and a half weeks ago. Keegan was out of town for a week. So this is our first real week here, like settled in together with the dogs and everything. And we're just loving the space. How are you enjoying living in Kensington, Keegan? It's quite lovely. Where we were previously, it was nice. Very fortunate to live where we did. And it was amazing. The sunsets were beautiful. Location was great. It was close to our gym. We were close to the beach. But that came with a price. And the price was we were in townhomes where we shared both sides of our walls, which was fine. But they were built pretty poorly. So you could hear people... On the phone, for example, uh, your couch was against one of the walls. And if so someone in the town home next to us was on the phone, we could hear them talking on the phone. And if they were on speaker, you could hear the speakerphone. So that was not very pleasant. But there were a lot of pros. But that was a pretty big con. And the planes. We were in the flight path. That was pretty jarring. Your planes, five thirty six a.m. and yeah, it's just not peaceful. Like it's so loud. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's pretty congested. I don't like to be negative, but there, you know, there were a lot of pros, but the cons were pretty, pretty apparent. When you're pick, yeah, when you're picking somewhere to live, it's important to think about, you know, when you're like weighing the pros and cons. What are things that are going to affect you a lot? And what are things that are going to affect you a little? And I think we just had a lot of or a bunch of things that affected us a lot of the time, such as the planes and the noise. And we work from home, so I think it's extra important for us to have a space that feels comfortable, that has, you know, I don't know, these days a lot of the homes are like open floor plans. And this house was built in the 1920s and it has like arched doorways and original like wood floors. and it's beautiful. You know, it has this, a formal dining room, a formal living room, a kitchen, and they're all kind of like a, in separate parts of the house. 
which I actually love because Keegan can be back in the office working during the day and I'm in a different part of the house and it's like, you know, we're completely separated from one another. For all the nerds out there that have mechanical keyboards, it's pretty clackety and yeah, so she can't hear that. Yeah, well, your chair is like the squeakiest chair so true. in the world. I hate that chair. I might give you mine <laughs> and then get one of those like yoga ball chairs because I don't use mine that much. And it's a standing desk, so I can either be like on that or standing. Anyway, we digress. But I love that there is some separation in this house. It just kind of makes it feel, I don't know, I feel like I'm more intentional within the rooms that I'm in when I'm in them. Well, yeah, it's also bigger. I mean, it's about 600 square feet bigger and it's a single family home so we don't have shared walls and it's larger we even have a little private backyard and a garage yeah and we can walk to i mean literally like across the street to a grocery store walk a block to five or six restaurants the deli liquor store coffee it's quite lovely yeah it's just a really really cute walkable neighborhood it's so beautiful yeah, and the, everyone's so nice. Everyone is so nice. We only have neighbors on one side because we kind of almost have like a corner lot and they're just the nicest. Like they want to know our dog's name and they want to give them treats and everyone here just is good vibes, to be honest. And we also have friends that live on the same street half a mile down. So that's really fun. Oh, and one of the places nearby is a place called Kensington Club, which is this really... I'm going to say grungy, it's nice. It's very dive bar. But it's been there since the 30s, and they have all these, you know, interesting events, and they're known for punk shows, which is fun for me because it's, you know, this very nice, beautiful, elegant neighborhood, and then you just, there's this little dive bar that plays punk music in the middle of it. And I, I don't know. I love that. That's really... It's very much a juxtaposition. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. We went there for a drink the other day. And it's a cash-only bar. Cheap, too. Yeah, definitely not expensive. But, yeah, so we're loving our neighborhood. We love taking the dogs on walks around here because the homes are just so beautiful. And I'm still not over the California vegetation. I still think it's so beautiful and stunning, all the succulents and the different types of plants and flowers. And so many people have meticulously kept rose bushes. It's just such a wonderful, I guess I just really enjoy living in a neighborhood. That feels kind of on its own, but we're still not far from anything we need to do. So, yeah, we're still, you know, 14 minutes to the beach. So, really, I mean, pretty amazing. And unfortunately, we haven't been going to the beach as much as we used to. Yeah. I miss the beach. I'm in need of a beach moment. So, maybe we'll do that this weekend. Yeah. As I mentioned, Keegan just got back from a week long trip. He went to Austin for work. In preparation for this episode, Keegan and I talked about some of the standout moments from the week, some things that he learned, some things that he thought were interesting, what he felt about Reach leaving the conference, what he felt about his role and moving forward. And just so you know, Keegan works for a company that basically creates many sub-companies within blockchain. And... There's just like a lot of exciting growth opportunities happening. They're kind of on the forefront of the blockchain movement, like whatever 
you need to do in blockchain reaches setting out to create applications that solve problems that people need. So it's a really fascinating company. Keegan loves it. If you are a listener of this podcast, you know how passionate Keegan is about blockchain and Web3 decentralization. So I figured today we would just kind of catch up on what his main takeaways and learnings are coming out of his week, really diving into this deeper and seeing all these people in person that he doesn't get to see, but he spends a lot of time with. So yeah, Keegan, tell us a little bit about just in general, where you went and what the purpose of your trip was. Yeah, well, I do want to go back and just clarify. So I work for an arm of the company that is Reach, but Reach itself is a development platform. And to maybe crystallize what Julia said, what Reach is doing, the the core company is, you know, what AWS did for cloud computing, you know, Reach is aiming to do a similar thing for blockchain. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify that, you know, that Reach is a development platform and I work on Reach Labs, which is an arm of the company that is building consumer facing products. And yeah, this past week I went to Austin. I was there for a week and the first three days were a summit. And what that means is it was a three-day event, Friday to Monday, where people paid uh, $250 to attend a six-week-long boot camp. And this is, this the, the first weekend of the trip was that, you know, introductory weekend for for these attendees. And we had about 40 people show up to the summit in Austin. And yeah, it was great. I think one of the... Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was, uh, you know, this interest in blockchain by nature of these people being there, you know, there's an interest obviously, but you know, these are pretty much all of them, if not all of them are seasoned developers and in, in web two. So, you know, your traditional front end developer or your traditional back end developer or DevOps guy or girl that, you know, wanted to expand their skill sets, which I really appreciate because I think a lot of people kind of get comfortable and don't necessarily want to learn new things, but you know, there were people in there that were 40, 50 years old that, you know, have been doing what they've been doing for a long time, but want to learn something new. And I really appreciate that. And I think another thing that stood out was the diversity. So there was a kid there with his dad, he was 15. He was um, an early investor in Bitcoin and as I assume made a lot of money. And, you know, in contrast, there was someone there that was in his mid forties who, you know, who owned a company and he was interested in blockchain and, you know, wanted to incorporate that into his company. And there was also some investors there that just were curious about what Reach is doing, what blockchain really is, is there opportunity for them as an investor? So I appreciated the passion, willingness to learn, and just the eagerness to figure out what Reach is about, which is a solution to blockchain development. So, yeah, I just think overall it was a, it was very cool to see the you know these people, this diverse group of people that are hungry to learn about the space. Yeah, I bet it's really validating to meet people who don't really necessarily have a connection to Reach as employees. 
who are coming into this space because I think it's kind of almost a sample pool of, you know, how this technology is going to be used in the future. I don't know. I bet just from, you know, you've been in blockchain and you've been working for this company completely remotely. And I bet going in person and like literally tangibly seeing people and physically being with people and talking to people from all over the world with different backgrounds who also believe in this as the way forward and who are investing not only their time, but their money into this. I just think that's really cool. Yeah. And something interesting that Reach is doing is it was the, the bootcamp's $250. So it's not a tiny amount of money, but it's, you know, most people can, can, can find $250 in America, at least. I know it's not like that around the world, but you know, it's not thousands of dollars. It's $250. And what Reach is doing is you, the, you basically quote stake that money. So you pay $250 up front. And if you complete the six week bootcamp, you get $250 back, which I think is amazing. A, because it's cheap and B, they really want to foster people getting into this. So like, Hey, if you complete this thing, you, you get your, your money back. It's in the contract. So I just want to point that out. I thought that's, I think that's amazing. To me, it shows that reach is playing the long game. You know, they're not charging you five, $10,000. They're saying, it's $250 and oh, hey, you're going to get it back if you just complete the six-week course. It's not a money grab. It's, you know, we want, we're going to charge you this so that, because I think a lot of times when you financially invest in something, you're more committed to it. So it's probably like, okay, this is your buy-in, $250 and then whatever it costs for you to get to Austin for this first weekend and, you know, eventually not only will you get the money back if you complete the program which is the goal they want to onboard people into using reach into having a smaller barrier to entry or no barrier to entry for people who want to take advantage of blockchain technology and so it shows that you know obviously their priorities are in the right place they're really trying to help people and making make it easy for them to take advantage of their platform because that's the whole point of reach is that it's making it simpler for people to build on blockchain. Yeah. And I wanted to say two things. First is I think at large, this bootcamp, the, the payment structure, I think it reach is confident in what they've built and that it is the easiest way to build smart contracts on chain or applications on blockchain and so confident, meaning like you know, this is essentially a guarantee, right? Like, hey, if you do this for six weeks, you understand blockchain, you understand reach, you're not going to want to use anything else because this is the best solution. So I think the confidence in the product that they built is, uh, the core team has built is, is amazing. And the other thing too, I want to mention about the, the, the payment structure. I was talking to a guy from Japan and he is a CEO of a company. I forgot where he's from in Japan, but it's essentially he's doing Airbnb, a similar business model and where he lives in Japan. And we, he was talking to us, me and one of my coworkers, JP, about reach and asking questions about this business idea he had for that, that would make sense on blockchain. So we were talking to him and giving him advice and, you know, he was eager about continuing the bootcamp and we were telling, he was asking us how much it costs and we were telling him, you know, well, you're here, so you've already paid the $250, right? And he said, yeah, but how much is the boot camp? And we were telling him, I mean, that's it. You know, you pay $250. If you complete the course, you know, you, you're going to get that back. 
And it took like five minutes for us to convince him that that was really what the cost was. He like didn't understand that it was that cheap because historically boot camps, even, you know, month long ones are a thousand, two thousand dollars. So I think that really spoke to the price point of this and how affordable it is. Like we, he literally didn't believe us. He was like, so how are you guys making money? We had to tell him about like, look, we don't make money off individual users. We make money off partnerships with blockchains or making money off of the consumer facing products that provide value to, um, everyday people. And he, he was just mesmerized by that because we were not like, we're not shilling something to, we're not selling him. Hey, you know, like, Hey, use this for free for a month, but, oh, you know, we're going to charge you a thousand dollars a year to use this moving forward. He, and we were like, no, man, this is free to use. Like we, we, we don't make money from you. So that was very humbling to, you know, for what Breach is doing in, in this space, for that to be such an anomaly for this, for something to be so affordable. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Does that really kind of speak to the, like the power of reach itself and like how big it can get? Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a lot of companies right now because, you know, the blockchain, if you will, is so hot, right? you like, you know, everyone's talking about NFTs. They might not understand them, but they're hearing them and they want to integrate NFTs into what they're doing or, you know, blockchain to buzzword has been for a few years, but even more so now, like they want to integrate blockchain under their company, but they don't understand blockchain, you know, it's easy, it's easy to, to put out a money grab right now in, in, in my mind and from my perspective. And I think this speaks to Reach's long-term goal. Like they, we want to be, you know, the, an, an AWS, right? We're not here to just like AWS didn't capitalize on or they, they capitalized, but it wasn't a money grab. They wanted to build the biggest cloud infrastructure that ever existed. Reach wants to build the biggest blockchain development platform that exists. Like we're playing the five, 10 year, 20 year game. We're not here to make, you know, a quick 500 million, 2 million. We're, we want to be a very large company. So I, just, I think this speaks to that. Did you ever feel like you know, this is too good to be true or like the, the goals are too lofty before you met everybody in person. And then when you met, like, do you feel like you're more confident in this now or did you always have confidence? Yeah. And I think this kind of gets into the, the retreat aspect of it. Do we want to talk about that? Okay. Let's finish it. Well, we'll come back to that. Okay. Okay. So what else did you learn at the summit or what, what are some more takeaways that you had? Yeah, I think the, you know, I've already touched on it, but the biggest thing that I took away from the summit was just talking to these attendees from all across the globe, from all different types of backgrounds. Another interesting th thing that, sh that struck me was, you know, the amount of CEOs, you know, maybe it was a small company, four or five people, but I have a massive amount of respect for entrepreneurs, period. I don't care if you're a solopreneur, it's just you building something. Or if you're running uh, a company with 10,000 people, I have equally amounts of respect for both of those people. So I love meeting entrepreneurs, someone who's not afraid to, to grind and put in the late night hours and they're passionate about something. So I would say out of the, you know, I probably talked to, I don't think I talked to all 40 people, but I talked to a lot. And I would probably say 20 to 30% of them were entrepreneurs or had been entrepreneurs who sold their company. And that, that was, that was interesting to me. So that, that was, that was an interesting insight as I guess maybe it's to the type of person that was there, someone who's 
you know, here to learn, here to grind, sees potential. I think entrepreneurships are innately, you know, looking for opportunity. So that was interesting to me. I think that's also a good point to put out about entrepreneurs. You know, people who are entrepreneurs aren't just like business owners necessarily. They're always looking for the next thing and willing to learn and willing to be novice at something. And I think that is really admirable as well. Like all of these people don't understand and they're willing to invest their time and energy to understand because that's what you have to do. You have to teach yourself things that you don't know constantly and get comfortable with being not good at something or not having all of the answers. And I think that is another aspect of entrepreneurs or people who are, you know, seeking out new information, especially when they're older, because I think the older you get, the more I feel like you're set in your ways or you want to feel like you know everything or whatever. But I, I just love and appreciate people who are willing to start over. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And these people are probably, I wonder if it's also like, you know, people who are entrepreneurs or CEOs, if they've sold companies, that's, you know, some measure of success. And seeing how these people see the value in reach also and see the value in blockchain and how it can affect their businesses in the future. Potentially. You know, they're basically affirming the same thing that you guys think at reach, you know, that this is the future and, Hmm. you know. Yeah, no. I can say with full confidence, I know I hedge a lot of things. I can say with absolute certainty, we will interact with blockchain daily in 10 years. We might not know it, but in some capacity, whether it's through an app or your TV or a text or I don't know, but I can say with hundred percent certainty within 10 years, you are going to interact with a blockchain based solution daily. Oh, another thing at the summit, I was on some panels, which was fun. And what is a panel? Panel in this context is, you know, there were three or four people in front of the, in front of everyone at the conference. So all the employees or most of the employees at reach and the attendees and the two panels that I was on were about developers. Steph Stefania called it a dev support group where, you know, developers in web three basically talking about what, well, what tools we like to use? What do we like about developing on blockchain? Why do we like developing on blockchain? Things of that sort. And it comes from, there's a saying in web three, everyone always says, why don't the devs just do something? Meaning like, you know, developer, just do it as if, you know, you can just like, you just as if crank it's easy. out, yeah, yeah, you just crank out a feature in five minutes. And that's not the case. And so that was fun just to hear my peers and coworkers talk about their perspective of developing on chain. That was fun. And then the other one was about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. Yeah. And then just the people on the panel's opinions about DAOs and what they are, what are they now? What could they be? And just our perspective on how they're going to take form and impact our lives or could impact our lives in the future. So. That was really fun. I actually really enjoyed talking in front of people about things that I'm interested in and quasi understand better than some people. So yeah, I actually really enjoyed talking and speaking in front of people, which is something that I'd never thought I would say, but yeah, that was another big takeaway from the summit is I enjoyed talking about this in front of people and answering, you know, blind questions. So 
that was interesting for me. Do you feel like the podcast helped you be a little more confident? Yeah, definitely. And I can tell I'm when I, when we started this, I wasn't, yeah, I mean, I think I was uncomfortable, but yeah. And you, if you go back to the early episodes, you could probably hear me progressively get more comfortable, but yeah, I'm very much someone like if I decide to do something, I want to be good at that thing. It doesn't matter what it is. So yeah, I told Julie, I was like, you know, this is probably going to take me like six months. I think I said six months to really get comfortable. So I feel like I'm just like, I'm not out of my final form yet, but the, but yeah, most certainly this, I, this most certainly helped just talking candidly. And do you feel like you're just like as a dev, the stereotype is quiet introvert and you are an introvert, but I think when you're passionate about something, you love talking about it. So yeah, maybe that gave you an edge. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I do, I do think the stereotype holds true for a lot of developers. It's definitely not absolute. Jay, our CTO is one of the most super chatty, super knowledgeable, love talking to him. And he's also the, the, by far the best developer I've ever met in my life. So it's definitely not absolute, but I think an aggregate and the majority of developers are quiet and, you know, don't like to talk a lot. So, yeah, I think, I do think I'm pretty likable and I do think that, you know, I don't want to say edge. It sounds like I was trying to get something, but yeah, I think I'm different than most developers and that I, I think I'm okay at talking to people. Yeah, it's your slight edge. It's okay to have an edge. It's okay to have something about you that's different than the other people. Okay. Yeah, I know. I just didn't like saying edge because it implies I'm trying to be better than someone else. Yeah, I wouldn't agree with that, but that's not how I intended to use it, but I, see what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I listened to the beginning of one of them. I think it was like the dev support group panel. And I just kind of noticed that one of your one of your peers was talking about, you know, how he got introduced to blockchain and reach and his story was kind of similar to yours as he was interested in it. He was trying to build something or work with something. And he just kind of found out about Reach and thought it was interesting. And not a lot of people were doing it. But a lot of these people, like this is their, Reach has been like their introductory to like blockchain. And it's been something like a start or entry point for devs and blockchain. And I thought it was just interesting that, and I know I've heard this from you, but even in the development world, not a lot of devs understand blockchain and ha know how to build on blockchain. Yeah, I think most people either A, didn't, don't care about blockchain or B, it was too complex and took too much time to learn how to build on blockchain. And I think reach inherently makes it simple to, to do both because of how reach is written, you think in terms of who is going to be using my application or this application, i.e. what reach calls participants and in traditional development, you think of the application in its entirety, like how is this application going to work? And I think that way of thinking about things is very unique in the development world. And it, I think it simplifies both the learning of DAP development and blockchain as a whole. So, yeah. Very interesting. Cool.
How was going out in Austin? Did you guys like get to explore it all? Like what was the vibe like there? Yeah. So the summit was in the city. We were pretty close to sixth street, I think is what it's called. And apparently that's where all the, you know, happening, happening places are bars and clubs and all of that. And then there's two parts of sixth street. One is, you know, heavily populated with college students and young people having a good time. And then there's the dirty six, which I think it was called, which is the south part of sixth street that gets pretty nuts in like a dangerous way. And actually one of my coworkers, I just remembered this, one of my coworkers, there was someone shot while they were down in the dirty six and they said, they think it was a muffler and it, you know, statistically it probably was, but they, you know, they heard a muffler and then, you know, everyone was screaming and yeah. So that's the dirty six. So, but yeah, we went out on sixth street The I went out two nights and yep, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time you know, kind of in a city, very similar to Nashville going out in, I don't know, East Nashville, probably similar to that. Maybe East Nashville meets downtown or the Gulch kind of hybrid. If not from Nashville, it's just like a, you know, popular hip area. Cute boutique bars and places to go and hang out on rooftops. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Cool. That's awesome. Did you hang out with mainly people from your team or did people who were at the boot camp go out with you? Well, maybe only went out one night now that I think about it. Anyways, yeah. When I spent a lot of time with my team because Brian, one of my coworkers, his, he had some homies that live in Austin and he was like, yo, because I guess for context, every evening as part of the summit after the last talk or event, there was always happy hours. So I started from... I don't know, about five or six and went on for two or three hours. So, you know, people were lubricated and everyone was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's keep going. So one night Brian was like, yeah, let's go to, let's go to sixth street. My, my friends are down there. So me and some coworkers went up with Brian and met his friends and they showed us around and that was really fun. Oh no, one or two nights. Yeah. The last night we went out, we went to a drag bar. That was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. It's a really good time. Anything stand out about like Austin food? So yeah, to be clear at the summit, it was, you know, it was at like a conference center hotel hybrid thing. So we had, you know, the, the traditional like conference food, if you will, where it's like in the silver yeah. trays where you buffet style. Yeah, but it was good. It was very delicious. Yeah. So I didn't really get any Austin specific food while it was in the city, unfortunately. Oh, we did go to a ramen or yeah, a ramen place. That was good. My first day. But yeah, I didn't get any, I got barbecue at the retreat, which was delicious, but yeah, I think they're going for their barbecue and I didn't get too much of it. Was it hot and humid or was it like here? It was pretty hot and humid, very similar to the South or Florida. It was pretty, pretty sticky. Or maybe it's just because I live on the West Coast now, close to the ocean, and it just seemed like a lot, but it was, it was pretty sticky a few days for sure. Interesting, because it was early March, so I feel like that's early for it to be hot, isn't it? Yeah, well, there, yeah, that's why I said it's a few days. There were some days where it was pretty cold because of the wind. But yeah, 
Yeah. So it does that here. Like it'll fluctuate. It could be like really hot one day and then really cold the next. It can be really cold in the morning and then really hot in the afternoon, which is mostly why I think it's so interesting moving here, like expecting it to be hot all the time, which it definitely is. But I wear sweatshirts here more than I ever did in Nashville because in one day you can go from like freezing to hot to freezing again. And so I'm always putting a layer, getting cozies on and things like that. So interesting. Yeah, I forget that it's different climate in another part of the world, like during winter. It's weird when people are like, oh, yeah, it's snowing and wherever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. It's funny how quickly that happened. You only been here over two years. But anyway, that sounds awesome. I definitely want to visit Austin sometime soon. Did you guys cross paths with any like South by Southwest people or groups or because it wasn't it around the same time yeah i think it was going on while we were there but the area we went to was nuts i mean there it was insane just the amount of people at these bars around 10 11 p.m and even further into the night i mean they were packed so presumably a lot of them were from south by or college maybe spring break or something but yeah it was pretty wild you should have tracked down tim ferris mm. Yeah, Tim Ferriss lives in Austin. That would have been a treat. But yeah, I talked to one of my coworkers at the retreat, and he actually didn't like Tim Ferriss. Would you? I just thought that was an. I've never heard anyone no, say he that he's a. I don't. I don't think he gave a reason. I was just like, you know, I don't really. I think you could tell that I liked him, and he didn't like. You know, there was no reason to be like, I don't like him because X, Y, and Z. But he's like, yeah, I don't really like him that much. Some some kind of something like that, which is fun. Everyone is. I just appreciate people with different perspectives. I'm not right. He's not right. But I. I appreciate people who, because I was talking positive about him and he said, you know, I don't really like him. So I respect people that, I, I like people that aren't yes people. And my friend Carly's like that. Like she says and how it is. And I really, that's one of the things I noticed about her initially that I appreciate. Like I would say, oh, I like this kind of thing. She's like, yeah, I've never really liked that. And I like, mm -hmm. and I'm like, cool. Yeah, that's totally true. Like, I'm just more so curious about why he doesn't like him. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think, to be clear, like, this was like in the morning, we were getting, having coffee. This was not late night. So I just, I don't think he said, I think it was just like an offhanded comment. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I think we're talking about tools of Titan and I was asking him about it because we were talking about podcasts and business ideas and things like that. And yeah, I think it was just something like that. Laura does that too. Like we talked about books and I was saying, oh, I like this one type of book. She's like, yeah, I don't really like that kind of book. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I like when people say how they really feel, it, even if it's contrary. Yeah, it's just I feel like you genuine can people. More to people who are honest and like straightforward. 100%. And I'm like a recovering people pleaser. So I so easily will just kind of, but it comes from a place of, I want people to do what's right for them. So I'm, I see it more as like being supportive of people's individual choice to like do what they want and I don't think that I, like, should, my opinion should influence how other people see themselves or anything else. So I kind of just like to be supportive, but I think sometimes it can make me feel, like, people-pleasy. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's why it's so hard to find good friends, because it's hard to find the balance of, you know, because you want to be around people who have the same core values of you, but you don't, you don't want to be around someone who has the exact same taste as you as well, because in that'd be extremely boring. And I think that's hard to find in people, which is why I think it gets harder to find good friends as you get older. Because when you're younger, you know, you 
there's so many common interests, you know, you like you're in grade school and you're like, you like stickers and Pokemon and then you go to college and it's like partying and, you know, like you have this, then as you get older, you know, those. Defined interests that you had as a kid. Yeah, it just becomes harder. And that's why, in my opinion, that's why it's harder to make friends or good friends because it's hard to find that balance of someone who, you know, has the same core. Yeah. Beliefs as you, but, or someone who's comfortable enough to disagree on things and not like make a thing of it. Mm -hmm. But anyways, that's my little philosophical take on this. Yeah. And just to be transparent, like where we've made friends is some really good friends recently is at the gym. And because, you know, one of our core values as a couple of people is just we love working out. We love fitness. We love being active. Like that's something that he and I have always equally cared about. And now that we're able to do something together, we're meeting other couples that have that same like core value of like maybe like pushing yourself or lo loving that physical release or like whatever it is about working out that like we all appreciate. It is something that like you have to work at and that is hard and uncomfortable. And like we are willing to like face all of the discomfort that it brings. I don't know. I just I, I see what you're saying about the whole core values thing. Like that's a core value of each of us and so it makes sense that even though the friends that we made were definitely not exactly the same but where you definitely have you know our core values mm -hmm. are the same and we do have a lot of similar interests mm -hmm. but we we can like respectfully disagree and and it's not even a disagreement it's just like we are both sharing our opinions and like feelings on things without judgment of each other i have a hot take here if you're if you're friends with someone who agrees with everything you say you should probably get another friend yeah, definitely. And I feel like I struggle because sometimes I feel like I approach that where I'm like, wait, I need to make sure that I'm checking it with myself and I'm showing up as me mm -hmm. with like a very connected sense of self mm -hmm. and knowing what matters to me. And like that I can feel safe disagreeing with other people too. Like mm -hmm. that's something that I'm personally working through. Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's, it's a hard quality to find in people, someone, everything we've mentioned, but then on top of that to be like, yeah, I don't really like that. And it's hard to find people that are like, oh, okay, yeah. Because, it's because most people want to defend and defend and defend. And I fall into that sometimes, of course. So I work on it as well, but I feel like in, most of the time, I, if you come at me with a good reason for things, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, and it's like, if, if you disagree with someone about something, that doesn't mean that your choice is wrong or bad. It's just different. And I think a lot of people attach like, oh, if I disagree with them, that means I'm wrong or she's wrong. And then there's going to be this weird awkwardness. Like, no, I feel even more welcome to just show up as me when people show up as themselves and are honest and can be honest with me. Like, that's a sign of trust and... Well, confidence, conf self-confidence. Yeah, confidence, yeah. for sure. Like, being able to speak your truth exactly like that, that. But again, it's a delicate line between because you, if you're too confident, you're an asshole. So it's like, again, it's just, point is, is like it's hard to, or your opinion Yeah, it's hard to find yeah. good quality people because this is, you know, it's hard. It's so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really cool. How did we get here? Oh, you were talking about Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. That's right. I just think it's something as adults we don't talk about enough. Like disagreeing and fun and cool and chill. Well, I will it makes life more interesting. Cool one mm -hmm. people around you that just want to agree with. Like, how do you grow? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think you and I, 
I won't speak for everyone, but well, I, I'll just, I won't even speak for you. I'll speak for me. I think growing up in the South with, you know, you don't really, my mom said this to me and I think, you know, she doesn't know, but you know, as a child, you know, you're there to be seen and not heard. Like she's literally said that. And I think that's like something that I've had to break away from because when I had an opposing opinion to my parents, you know, this is my house, my rules on under my roof, what I say goes, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, it took me a long time to really feel comfortable being like, oh, they don't know everything. They're, you know, this is just their opinion. And it, it, it's not right or wrong. And my opinion is not right or wrong, but it's okay for me to have different views or beliefs or opinions than them just because they're my parents. That, that's fine. Like it, but it took me a long time to really realize that because of, you know, my upbringing. And I think that's the same for a lot of people, especially in the South for small towns and. Any sort of questioning or why, or what does this mean? Or anything like that is always shut down. Like you, you're not as a child taught that like you, you know, anything or that your opinion matters. Like you literally like silence as children. Yeah. And I, and I don't think people understand like that's, that, uh, that's a habit. Like, you know, it, it, it yeah. maybe not purposefully, but it becomes like, okay, I've seen, not heard. And then that carries over when you're six and you're eight and then you're 10 and then you're 13. And I think that's why a lot of people, kids rebel is because they're like, this is ridiculous. I can't tell you I'm wrong, but I'm going to do this thing anyways, because I want to do this. And I don't know. It's an interesting uh, topic. Yeah. And any sort of like disagreement is like uncomfortable. Like when you're younger, you're taught to be agreeable and yeah, well, the whole, I think we talked about this on the podcast before, but yeah, I mean, it's, it always irked me, even as a child, like what I, because I said so, and that's the most, to me, really, if you boil it down, it's very narcissistic because essentially what you're saying is what I said is right because I said it. And that, that's an extremely narcissistic way to view the world. It's not, well, Here's what it means, little Johnny. Here's why I said that. Does that make sense? Little Johnny says, no, they explain a little more and then maybe they get to the root of it. But to say, because I said so, it's, it's a very narcissistic way to look at the world in my mind. Yeah. And I think that these habits, obviously our parents adopted from their parents and their parents. Like this is also yeah. just like how society has evolved and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, how children were raised when we were growing. And I, I do want to be clear too, to my parents' credit, especially my mom, you know, she has... Uh, you know, she's talked about this to me as I've been an adult and, you know, she wish she'd done things differently. And, you know, even my dad, you know, I think to their credit, I think they recognize like, yeah, you know, I don't know if that was like the best way. So I, I appreciate that, that reflection. I appreciate self-reflection in anyone, but especially as an adult to, you know, realize like, man, you know, I could have done that better. That That's a hard thing to, to admit. So shout out to my parents for, you know, being self-aware absolutely, and recognizing it. Mm. I think a lot of people can relate to like having experienced that. And it's, yeah, it's interesting when you become adults and then you get to know your parents and each other's people, like real people mm -hmm. and it, it, the dynamic changes and it's a hard transition that I don't really hear anyone talking about, but it's made a huge impact in my life as an adult and, and my growth as a person. And yeah, interesting veer off of the topic completely. I just think that it's fun for us to chat about, you know, things that we're noticing or going through at this stage of our lives, just because I do want the show to be something that connects people where, you know, people can 
relate to us and see themselves in us or, you know, even just like learn something, even disagree with us or have a completely different view. But this is just our experience and we're sharing just, you know, from our hearts, like what is standing out to us. Now what we're learning, what we're going through and trying to be as transparent as possible in the process. I think that is just a good practice for me in general. I have a very hard time like telling people my honest feelings. I like it very guarded in that respect. So this is a good thing for my growth. <laughs> I will just say that. And so, yeah, thank you. Thanks for sticking along with us on our hands. So with that, we're going to close out this episode of Her and the Nerd. If you enjoyed our conversation and want to hear more about Keegan's experience in Austin, stay tuned for part two, where we're going to talk about the story of the founders of Reach, Chris and Jay. We're going to talk about Keegan's co-workers, what he learned, some fun stories, and more. So tune in for that, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Her and the Nerd.